we are here this sunny spring morning to worship in the spirit of wisdom, to celebrate life freely and honestly, to rejoice in the transforming power of love and respond to compassion's deep call. We gather from our varied lives and obligations with distractions and ideas and concerns perhaps circling in our minds. And this circle, this circle of chairs, this circle of humanity welcomes us in. With care and generosity, we accept one another as we are this day, knowing that our world is made more loving by our behavior one to another. May this simple chalice flame guide us and remind us that we matter and that how we behave matters and that how we treat one another can create sacred space here on earth. Let's make that sacred space here now together. So good morning everybody and welcome to Essex Church and to this our gathering of Kensington Unitarians community. At the end of a week that's been troubling for so many people, let's give thanks for simple joys, the return of warmth and light and spring flowers. On this day when the clocks leap forward by an hour, let's congratulate ourselves, those of us who are dressed and here and on time, and let's show absolute infinite compassion for anybody who walks in a little later. <laughs> Welcome everybody. I hope everyone has a card thanking them for caring for others. If by any chance you haven't got a card, I think Kyra's got a few left and she'll give you one in a moment. That card is another way to mark the fact that today is known as Mothering Sunday in our culture. A weekend where restaurants and flower sellers put up their prices and cards will or will not have arrived in some people's post boxes in time. I've long been um, aware personally that Mothering Sunday can be an uncomfortable day as well as a joyous one. And some of you will have heard me tell the story from 25 years ago now, when I was sitting in a Unitarian chapel, listening to the preacher on Mother's Day. And when he told us that uh, we should all be grateful for our mothers because, and I quote, you only have one mother you know, the seven-year-old who was sitting on my lap whispered in my ear, well, that's not true, is it? And for her, and for many others, that wasn't true. She'd experienced 13 changes of home before coming to live with us as our adopted daughter. So this is a day when I like to remind everyone that mothering is not all straightforwardly lovely chocolate boxy and bunches of roses. Like any other human experience, it's varied, it's complicated, and it is often a sensitive topic for people in ways we perhaps cannot possibly imagine. And of course, when we think of those qualities of caring for people and nurturing and nourishing, we know 
Those qualities aren't gender specific and they're not just shown in parenting relationships. All of us at different times nurture and nourish and show that we care. And that's why I want you to take that card home with you and remember that we do have the world in our hands and that we do care for others all the time and allow ourselves to be cared for, equally important. So I invite you to look at that thank you card for a moment and just take a moment to say a silent thank you in your mind to someone who has cared for you at some time. And also maybe in your thoughts, acknowledge all the ways that we show care to others. And that takes us into a time of prayer and reflection, which specifically relates to the challenges that Mothering Sunday can bring for different people. I call on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now and to bless all that we say and do together here this day. On this day that's set aside for honouring motherhood, let's give thanks for the joys and blessings of that role and for happiness and security if we have known that in childhood. Let's remember that no two people have the same experience and that for some, Mothering Sunday can be a painful time. It can be excluding or alienating. So let's open our minds and our hearts to those who, for whatever reason, have not known their own mother. And think of mothers who had to give up children or had them taken from them some of whom may have never felt able to reveal the secret of their motherhood. And we think of those unable to have children of their own, or those who choose not to have children. And our hearts ache for those whose lives have been blighted by parental cruelty or abandonment. We think of people bringing up children alone, both men and women, and those who are painfully aware of their own inadequacies as parents. And we open our hearts to those whose mothers are ill or infirm or who have died. And we know that none of us here is without some pain or error. We all seek to find comfort and to make things better. Let's hold humanity in our thoughts and in our hearts. As we direct our thoughts and prayers in a moment of shared stillness, to those we know to be in need this day. And may the eternal power of life and love ease all burdens and lessen all suffering 
and allow all people to find comfort where they seek it and show care and compassion to others in this ever-moving cycle of life and love. <coughs> Amen. This is a short extract from a very long book, Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom, in which he details his struggles to turn a country round to accept the notion of a nation which will not be divided on racial lines. It took him 27 years of incarceration, not to count the earlier years of persuasion and those subsequent to his liberation. He spent 21 of those years unable to touch or hold his then wife, Winnie Mandela. He suffered humiliating, degrading circumstances along that way, but he never gave up the struggle, sacrificing, amongst other things, a family life and a successful career as a lawyer. This is a slightly longer reading than usual, but I crave your indulgence. It's worth the journey. On the day of his inauguration as president, he spoke. I was overwhelmed with a sense of history. In the first decade of the 20th century, a few years after the bitter Anglo-Boer War and before my own birth, the white-skinned peoples of South Africa patched up their differences and erected a system of racial domination against the dark-skinned peoples of their own land. The structure they created formed the basis of one of the harshest, most inhumane societies the world has ever known. Now, in the last decade of the 20th century, in my own eighth decade as a man, that system had been overturned forever and replaced by one that recognised the rights and freedoms of all peoples, regardless of the colour of their skin. That day had come about through the unimaginable sacrifices of thousands of my people, people whose suffering and courage can never be counted or repaid. I felt that day, as I have on so many other days, that I was simply the sum of all those African patriots who had gone before me. That long and noble line ended and now began again with me. I was pained that I was not able to thank them and that they were not able to see what their sacrifices had wrought. The policy of apartheid created a deep and lasting wound in my country and my people. All of us will spend many years, if not generations, recovering from that profound hurt. But the decades of oppression and brutality had another unintended effect, and that was that it produced people of such extraordinary courage, wisdom and generosity that their like may never be known again. Perhaps it requires such depths of oppression to create such heights of character. My country is rich in minerals and gems that lie beneath its soil, but I have always known that its greatest wealth is its people, finer and truer than the purest diamonds. It is from these comrades in the struggle that I learned the meaning of courage. Time and again, I have seen men and women risk and give their lives for an idea. I have seen men stand up to attacks and torture 
without breaking, showing a strength and resilience that defies the imagination. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. I felt fear myself more times than I can remember, but I hid it behind a mask of, gold, of boldness. The brave person is not the one who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. I never lost hope that this great transformation would occur, not only because of the great heroes I have already talked about, but because of the courage of the ordinary men and women of my country. I always knew that deep down in every human heart there was mercy and generosity. No one is born hating another person because of the colour of his skin or the background or their religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Even in the grimmest times in prison, when my comrades and I were pushed to our limits, I would see a glimmer of humanity in one of the guards, perhaps just for a second, but it was enough to reassure me and keep me going. Man's goodness is a flame that can be hidden, but never extinguished. We took up the struggle with our eyes wide open, under no illusion that the path would be an easy one. As a young man, when I joined the African National Congress, I saw the price my comrades paid for their beliefs, and it was high. For myself, I have never regretted my commitment to the struggle, and I was always prepared to face the hardships that affected me personally. But my family paid a terrible price, perhaps too dear a price for my commitment.
entering the, the meditative time of our service now. There will be just a few spoken words leading us into a few minutes of shared silence together. So find a, a way to be comfortable as best you can in your chair. Maybe put down anything you don't want to hold in your laps or hold on to something you do want to hold on to or someone. And our, our meditation is about inspiration. It comes, of course, from inspirare, breathing in to be filled with something. And that might encourage us to use the rhythm of our breathing, that simple, shared life system that nourishes us all from the day we're born. Let's enjoy simply breathing in and out, perhaps imagining that spring sunshine filling us, lifting our spirits, accepting us as we are. And as we enter these few minutes of shared stillness and silence together, which will come to an end with a chime from our bell, I invite you to think of people who inspire you. We've heard of Nelson Mandela, such a well-known example of someone whose life was dedicated to a struggle for freedom, a righteous struggle for freedom. But I wonder who else inspires you in life? Maybe more ordinary, everyday people Let's enjoy our breathing. Let's enjoy thinking of people who inspire us. Let's enjoy <coughs> sharing stillness together. One of, um, one of the joys of having a teenage grandchild is how very easy it is to annoy or embarrass them. Something to look forward to for some of you. All you need to do is to find the latest language craze or dance movement, use the words or, or do the dance unexpectedly and then laugh uproariously at yourself ideally in a public place. <laughs> so the dance movement, apparently currently most likely to get young people cringing with shame at your ineptitude, is the dab, which I still can't get quite right, even though Hillary Clinton did it on television, apparently. But you just do something like, it's like you're sniffing your armpit. Okay, you go, why don't we all try it now? Okay, you go. Oh, look, it's just a natural. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Anyway, we'll work on it further over coffee and uh, Kwame's going to learn, lead the team. 
Um, and the other thing that you can do, as for language, is just use a word with the opposite meaning. Almost any word will do. If something is really great, well, of course, it's sick or bad or wicked. And wickedness, or in its more strongly worded form, evil, of course, has been one of one part of our theme for this month, which I'm heartily looking forward to seeing the back of, frankly. We've been looking at good and evil for a whole month now. So today I'm exploring the idea of right living and how we make moral choices in life, how our values and our principles guide our steps. We've heard from Nelson Mandela, who, who recognised that he was one of many people who stood against the evil that was the apartheid system. He speaks of people of extraordinary courage, wisdom and generosity. And he asks if such heights of character are revealed actually in response to the depths of oppression that you have to have pretty awful circumstances to bring out the best in humanity. And that reminded me of Viktor Frankl's uh, description from his time in, um, in a Nazi concentration camp when he wrote that we who lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from us but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's <coughs> attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He's a very powerful writer. And he writes too, as Nelson Mandela did, of the guards who showed little glimpses of humanity and what a difference that made to a truly grim regime. Now, few of us are tested in this way that Nelson Mandela and Viktor Frankl were, yet we all live in a world where shocking events occur from time to time. And it is chance that decides whether we hear of events of like that on the news, or we find ourselves caught up in the reality of frightening circumstances. I wonder if you remember, some of you, the assassination of President Kennedy back in 1963. Vivid in my mind, I think I was just at that age where I started to realise there was a big world out there with scary things happening in it. I remember watching it on TV and wondering how such a terrible thing could have happened. In the States at that time, there was a, a public broadcaster known as Fred Rogers. He ran a, a, an advice show for many years on television for parents and educators. And this was what he, he said about traumatic events. There was something else that my mother did that I've always remembered. Always look for the helpers, she'd tell me. There's always someone who is trying to help. I did. And I came to see that the world is full of doctors and nurses and police and firefighters, volunteers, neighbours and friends who are ready to jump in to help when things go wrong. Words from Fred Rogers. Look for the helpers. My mum had her own version of that. She used to remind me that there are always good people around trying to make things better, repairing damage, caring for others. It is a comforting response in uh, traumatic events. And it gives us all a moral direction, doesn't it? 
We can aim to be helpers, people who care, people who try to make things better or to give comfort when situations are at their worst. This way of being helps remind us that out of badness, good can and will emerge. Here in London this week, we've had a violent attack that has taken some people's lives. It's changed some people's lives forever, and it's left many of us as troubled onlookers. We're troubled, of course, by a violent act. And we're troubled too, perhaps, by the excessive media coverage and its particular tone, its anxiety-producing tone. And because our media has concentrated on one shocking story, we've heard little of all the other events that have been happening around the world. Some 150 innocent civilians killed by a coalition airstrike in the Iraqi town of Mosul, some 250 people thought to have drowned in the Mediterranean as three rubber dinghies sank. The people in Yemen, Somalia, Sudan, many other places, starving because of a famine and because of long-standing disputes that Western governments, including our own, choose to either ignore or be quietly complicit in. There's a lot happening, isn't there, in this world? In Derry, in Northern Ireland this week, 25,000 people gathered to pay their respects to Martin McGuinness, who was uh, an Irish Republican, a Sinn Féin politician. For the last 10 years, he's been the Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland. A one-time commander in the IRA, Martin McGuinness played a hugely important role in the Northern Ireland uh, peace process. Bill Clinton, at his funeral, praised McGuinness for the way he, and I quote, expanded the definition of us and shrank the definition of them. Yet if you lived here in Britain in the 1980s, you'll perhaps remember that some of, of what was going on at that time. I, I looked up and reminded myself that from 1988 to 1994, the law prevented broadcasters from broadcasting the voices of Sinn Féin politicians. Their words had to be read by actors. McGuinness, at the time, was more loathed than admired. Things change over time sometimes, don't they? Have a look at the quotation, if you wish, on the front of today's order of service. They're words of Osho, also known at one time as Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh a controversial spiritual leader, if ever there was one, but actually whose teachings I've benefited from greatly over the years, and yet whose life ended horribly in jail, in the States, and he's generally completely discredited, at least not for his obsession with white Rolls Royces, and had at least 74 of them in a fleet at some point, that most of us could not understand the spiritual implications of, although he was convinced there were some. Um, he, he wrote this quotation that I've been thinking about all week. I'll read it out. The question is not of finding in your thoughts what is right and what is wrong, in your actions what is right and what is wrong. The question is of finding a consciousness so total and so intense that only what is right remains and whatever is false burns out then you don't have to decide. And I find these words both inspiring and disturbing. Yes, they're inspiring. We can sense, can't we sometimes, in our innermost being, what is the right next step to take? 
I suspect we've all had these moments and I suspect that level of inspiration is what empowered people like Nelson Mandela in, in their absolutely righteous fight for justice. It's disturbing because, of course, this sense of absolute conviction is what underlies most extreme behaviour, an overwhelming sense of rightness. Yes, Nelson Mandela needed that when life circumstances called him to make great personal sacrifices for the good of all, and I was very grateful for that line in his autobiography where he realised the terrible effect that his life path had had on his family. Yet some people feel called to do dreadful things that hurt others and they too may think that their actions are for the greater good. So is there anything we ordinary folks can learn from extreme examples? Well, I'm going to continue to be inspired by those who set what I consider to be great examples, especially in times of adversity. But perhaps we ordinary mortals need to think before we act and to keep continuing to think. We need to strengthen our own reflective processes that weigh up our own deeper motivations and impulses. And perhaps our path of right living requires an assessment and a reassessment and a checking out with our friends and families from time to time about our own principles and values, our own consideration of what is right and what is wrong and what is the best next step for us to take. And those steps have got to be taken in line with the principles we're choosing in life. So I really look forward to hearing from you what right living means for you. I've certainly had a troubling week thinking about it. Amen. Hold on to what is good even if it is a handful of earth. Hold on to what you believe, even if it is a tree that stands by itself. Hold on to what you must do, even if it is a long way from home. Hold on to a hand, even when it has long gone from you. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be.